so much. Hey, uh, <clears throat> our children can be dismissed to Children's Church. Miss Angie will take them. Um, thank you all for singing along with us this morning. Hey, uh, I think just before I have my, I'm going to pray in a moment, but before I um, just give you all a few words this morning uh, from Scripture, um, I want to I wanna give you all an opportunity. You know, we, we had some people share the other night. We had some people share yesterday, but, uh, you know, Miss Brittany got up and she said, I want to tell my, you know, my memory of Scott. And, and so I'm going to pray in just a moment, but if there's anybody who wants to share a good word about Brother Scott um, before we continue on this morning, I want to give you all that opportunity. And so, um, so I'm going to pray, and, and, and if nobody has anything to say, we won't take that as anything other than, you know, that, that doesn't mean anything bad about the life of Brother Scott. I'm throwing something at, out there right now. And so, um, but, um, but we definitely want to give that opportunity for those who might want to say a word. So uh, let's do this. Join me in a word of prayer this morning. Uh, Lord, I love you. Um, you are good. You're a stronghold for those that love you. Uh, we come to you. You are the one that we are running to today to be our fortress, Lord. Uh, Lord, of, of course, as a church family, we're, we're, we're experiencing loss, a confusing, devastating loss. Um, and we thank you for how you have been a fortress for us this week. You really have, God, and we thank you so much. We, we celebrate you and praise your name for that. Uh, Lord, just kind of even like with, with, with trembling, we come before you and, and think, golly, you carried us through. And Lord, uh, what I know is that we'll continue to need you to be our stronghold, our fortress. And so, God, we continue to look to you. Uh, Lord, I pray and I just ask that you'd be with us today, that you'd minister to us today. Uh, Lord, I, my prayer, too, is that our worship has been pleasing unto you. Uh, Lord, I think sometimes in, in moments like this, our worship comes from the most true parts of ourselves. It's either going to be there or it's not. And I pray that our worship was true, undivided, and that it was an honor to you. I pray, Lord, that you would attend to us today as we uh, gather. And Lord, I pray that um, yeah, you would equip us for the days ahead. Uh, Lord, I Lift up this prayer to you in our time together. I pray all these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. Uh, just before I speak some words today, is there anybody here who says, you know, I just want to share something about my my time with Brother Scott. And uh, Brother Ron, thank you. Well, uh, I first met Brother Scott, it was in uh, February 1989, and uh, I wasn't a Christian, and I had just uh, met my, my wife and lovely bride of 33-plus years uh, in October of uh, 1989, and uh, she was a member of this church and saved in this church. And she said, hey, uh, how would you like to go to a Valentine's Day 
banquet. And it's at a little community center over in Forest Park, uh, right off of 528. And uh, I was smitten with her, so I was gonna go wherever she, <laughs> she wanted to go, and, uh, and so we went. And the first people that I met at that particular event was Scott and Karen Wolf. And from that very first time, he still had that grin, that face. And uh, it was obvious to me, I wasn't a Christian, there was something different about Scott Wolf. God's spirit just poured out of him. Just in that time of the banquet that we sat there, the love of God just shined through. And um, he wasn't, I'm sure he wasn't even aware of it. That was just, that was just God's presence in him. And uh, I've got to walk with him a lot of years. Uh, and Macaulay's dad was pastor, if you've been here a long time. You know that the preacher always had me do the announcements, and Brother Scott always was our song leader. So we were always back in the in the vestibule before church, and and preacher would you know have out the announcements. And if you know Rick Austin, he was a micromanager to the nth degree. Say this, don't preach the announcements and all the instructions that I got. That sometimes I followed and sometimes I didn't. And uh, he would tell Scott what songs to sing and, um, and Scott would listen dutifully as he always did and respectfully and said you bet and then he would come out here and sing completely different songs <laughs> not out of uh, you know antagonistic or anything he just forgot <laughs> and I remember one time Rick Austin said 20 steps it is 20 steps from that pulpit to that <laughs> office, and he cannot remember <laughs> what songs to sing. And he'd get up there, whosoever will. <laughs> and he had his certain motions that he always did. But uh, there was not a purer man that I've ever met in my life. Uh, unassuming man that just radiated the goodness of God. Um, if you were here yesterday, uh, I think this church overflowing with people was a testimony to a man that was completely sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I remember many times in prayer breakfasts that we would have and prayer times that we would have, um, he had a desire to be the best father he could ever be. And sometimes he struggled, I think, with that of whether he was a good enough dad. And, um, and I think that he struggled with it because some of the emotions with, come with fatherhood were not part of him, <laughs> like anger, <laughs> you know, uh, lack of patience. And um, when, when, when your kids are trying you in, in many, many different ways, uh, some of those emotions just were foreign to him. And I think that when he came up, he viewed those emotions of him not being what God wanted him to be. And maybe sometimes he just forgot 
the human side of himself as he was trying to walk with the Lord uh, his whole life. But uh, what a fine, fine Christian man. Uh, I've never heard a, a person say a bad word about Brother Scott Rush. And uh, uh, we could tell stories for, for the rest of this service, but I just wanted to share that with you and uh, be praying for the Rush family. Thank you. Anybody else want to share a word today? All right. As I told the church uh, or the congregation yesterday, we'll not only can we share all day, we will share more. Um, you don't have somebody who's part of your life for so many years uh, just because they're not here with us physically. Uh, they don't. They don't. They don't vanish from your memory. There will be prayer breakfast that we have, right, Brother Donnie? We'll have some prayer breakfast, and we'll be gathered around the table, and we'll remember something about Brother Scott then, and we'll tell those stories then. Um, and so, <clears throat> all right, church. Huh. This morning, I simply want to remind us of a really really necessary, uh, helpful perspective that uh, we find that the Apostle Paul had in his life, although he was faced with a lot of problems, troubles, and pressures. And uh, as we uh, have endured this week and we look ahead, I believe this perspective will be good. And the perspective is this, and we'll find it in Scripture in just a moment. But because Christ Jesus was raised, we too will be raised. This perspective looks beyond this moment, and it looks out into eternity. Uh, I said it at the very end of the service yesterday. One of the reasons why I do believe that Brother Scott lived, he was able to endure such a life and live in such a manner was because Brother Scott was not living for time, for this present moment. He was living for eternity. And we find this uh, perspective in Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 4, and I might read it in a couple different translations just because I like to do that, but uh, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 4, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is talking about the ministry that they have, uh, the gift that they have. And, uh, and he says that they have, this, uh, they have this responsibility and this ministry of uh, revealing Jesus to people. Uh, and he says uh, <clears throat> they do this ministry striving to be as honest as they can, without any uh, malfeasance of any nature. They don't do it deceitfully. Uh, they, they don't do it in a such a way to commend themselves. Um, but what they do is they submit themselves as humbly, as honestly, as genuinely as they can uh, to people so that, uh, so that God and his spirit and his truth can be known and not them themselves. 
And, uh, and then he goes on to verse number seven. He says, listen, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. He says, in fact, we are troubled on every side. But we do not find ourselves distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. He said, really, if you look at our lives, you'll find that we are always bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Let me just pause there for a second. That's a paradox, isn't it? We bear about the, the suffering death of Jesus in our lives. We put up with a lot of hurt, uh, harm, uh, distress, as, uh, as we find in um, 1 Corinthians 13. We do so without breaking character. We do so with continuing to love like Jesus Christ loved, right? See, it doesn't matter if we love whenever it's convenient to love. Everybody does that in this world. Um, my favorite commercials uh, are, are those uh, Snicker commercials, which kind of reveal this, you know, the you're not you when you're hungry. Uh, the I love the Joe Pesci one in particular, uh, maybe because I'm a Goodfellas um, a fan. But, uh, you know, um, you're not you when you're hungry. Well, we could say that about a lot of things. And a lot of times we give ourselves excuse for why we're not being what we need to be. Uh, I'll confess because I'm eager to confess my sins before my brothers and my sisters so that y'all can be praying for me and so that y'all know that I too am um, an earthen vessel like the Apostle Paul. But uh, Friday afternoon, I was done in. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, I, and I lacked patience. And uh, my wife called me and I was beyond done in. And she called me and, uh, and she said one thing that I, I, I did not want her to say that one thing. And I was like, why would you say that? You know, we had that little spat. It didn't last very long. But, but whenever I got home, I thought that was the moment where it really mattered whether or not I was going to be a man of character. It's those moments when you're done in. And I'm not, I'm not walking around in sackcloth and ashes. I received that as a, a corrective rebuke from the Lord and, and uh, made amends with my wife. And, uh, and she said, sweetheart, you don't even have to say a thing. No, she didn't. She said, yeah, you better make amends, buddy. No, uh, but uh, uh, we, I, I want you all to see those are the moments whenever I look back at it. It doesn't matter if I did everything well throughout the week. It's whenever I'm done in, am I going to do things well? Right. But here's what I think is really amazing about this paradox. The reason why we can bear about the suffering of Jesus in our body and his life be emanating from us is because Jesus lived a life of suffering. Right. We can't miss that beautiful point and that powerful point. 
Jesus lived a life of suffering. He said the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. In fact, there's times throughout Scripture where, where Jesus is trying to, to find some rest, and he's trying to, 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 to break away from the crowds, and, and, and not just because he's physically tired, but because his life is under threat. We find uh, uh, that the Pharisees uh, gather up with the Herodians, and, 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 they, and they plot a plan uh, to take Jesus' life, and so Jesus has to retreat away from them. And, and even though he goes uh, out into the Judean wilderness, people are finding him there. Uh, in uh, Matthew chapter number 14, we find uh, after his disciples have been sent out throughout all the villages and, 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 and they let everybody know, hey, the Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah is here. Um, Herod hears of this. King Herod, uh, not Herod uh, the Great, but his son who is, who is vile and nasty. Herod who has, put to, who has executed John the Baptist, who has beheaded him and presented his head on a silver charger for his wife. Herod hears about Jesus, and, uh, and he wants to know, who is this? Because Herod's kind of confused. He goes, man, this sounds a lot like John the Baptist. Maybe he came back from death. I need to find out who this Jesus character is. And it says whenever Jesus hears this, Jesus tries to get in a ship and, and, and depart away on the other side of the shore. But guess what? All the people heard about Jesus being there, and they came from all the towns and all the villages round about. And this is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't break character. He comes out and he has compassion on them. And that's where we find the feeding of the 5,000. Is a story that follows. But the reason why uh, Jesus' life is revealed when we are bearing about the suffering of Jesus is because Jesus lived a life of suffering. He lived a life of suffering. He lived a life where people challenged him. You know, I always think about this. Usually, growing up, I thought about those dare to be moment, uh, d- dare to be great moments. You know, uh, I remember uh, we grew up knowing that song. Um, oh man. Oh golly, it's escaping me. But it was about like. Um, like if they were to come for you and they were to tell you to recant your faith, would you recant your faith? And we're like, we will not recant our faith. And that's a, like, I hope that if I'm ever in that situation, I won't. But I, but now I think about it more maturely and I'm like, man, anytime, anytime that somebody comes and they challenge me and I act like a defensive whiny baby about it, I'm not living in the character of my faith, am I? So it's not just about those dare to be great moments. Jesus, over and over and over again, people are questioning, why are you doing this? Why are you doing things the way you're doing them? I think I've made that point. So we'll move on. He said, we are always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse number 10. So that the life of Jesus also might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death works in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken 
He said, we have this same spirit. We believe and therefore we speak. We know that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. There's his perspective. We can bear about the troubles, the hurts, the losses, the confusion, uh, the pressure, and the persecution. And we trust that Jesus' life is being made manifest through that suffering, but we also believe that the one who raised up Jesus will raise us also. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundance grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound unto the glory of God. We're doing all this for you so that we can bring God glory. And he says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What gives them hope? What gives them strength? What renews them? It's not all the pressures from without. It is their faith. Their faith that through those pressures they can shine forth the life of Christ that despite those pressures, the one who raised Christ from death will raise us up also. What is their perspective? It's not about this present moment. It is they have an eternal perspective. That which they are living for, which shall not cease. Verse 17. This is such a a powerful statement, and it's really, I think Paul sincerely underplays what what he had to face in his life. He says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our light affliction. Paul is sincerely being, uh, uh, he's being, uh, he's using rhetoric here. Look, we have to put this in perspective. Paul's afflictions weren't light. Go read later on in 2 Corinthians and find out if Paul's afflictions are light. They're not. Our afflictions are not light. Uh, They might be relative to other people's afflictions, but they're not light in the full sense of the measure or the the term. But Paul isn't just saying, hey, I don't really count these as light afflictions because they're really not that bad. Other people have been through tougher stuff than I've been through. That's what everybody, that's how we motivate each other, right? Hey, you want to take your mind off your pain of your headache? Just go ahead and break that pinky. Right. Uh, My dad used to love that movie, Major Pain. And uh, whenever uh, uh, the kids would, you know, be like, you know, my 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 uh, my arm hurts. He's like, well, I have a little trick to take your mind off that pain. (laughs) And He would grab their pinky like he was going to break it. It's like sometimes it's like, hey, just think about something else. You know, that's not what Paul's doing here. Paul is not putting it in a measure of relative affliction against somebody else or some other affliction that he had. What Paul is measuring it up against is the eternal weight of glory. That's why 
what Paul says over in Romans chapter number eight. I imagine that the, that the sufferings that we endure in the presence, in the present, or for the, the glories that we are looking forward to far outweigh, far surpass the sufferings of the present. See, Paul's not looking around and, and comparing himself to other people. Well, I mean, I'm not really suffering as much as that guy, or, 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 or they really have it worse. No, 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 because that will not, that's not the perspective that's going to help us remain steadfast. The perspective that will help us remain steadfast is a perspective that says, I'm going to look at the eternal weight of glory that is ahead of me. And the eternal weight of glory, this hard week, and it has been a hard week. The burden is lightened. My week is not made light because I compare myself to somebody else. Or to somebody else's uh, afflictions or their troubles or their worries. And I shouldn't do it the opposite way. I shouldn't make mine heavier as I compare it to somebody else. And sometimes that's what we do, right? Well, they don't have it as bad as I do. No, it is the eternal perspective in which Paul says, hey, this affliction that we're, we're facing right now, in the perspective of eternity, it's lightened. And it's only through the perspective of eternity and the glory that is to come that you and I can take and we can bear the present sufferings as though they are lighter than they actually are. He says, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Man, I can't see those things I can't see, right? But Paul keeps his eyes on that which he cannot see. That which we only have uh, 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 but brief glimpses, a small taste of. You know, I think on Thursday night we got a brief glimpse and a small taste of what it means. Of what it means to 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 receive, you know. What, what, what eternity kind of has in store for us. And here's what I mean by that. Whenever we left Thursday night, I wanted to sing, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. Because our hearts had been united. And I'm going to tell you, I went into Thursday night going, why did I do this? <laughs> why did I set this meeting? I wasn't sure what to make of it. And I was I was worn out. I was overwhelmed. I had a funeral Friday morning and I was like, golly, yep, just throw another thing on your plate. There. <laughs> and like, is this going to be any good? And God was like, you couldn't even imagine all of the uh, the necessity of this. And so I'm so thankful for it. But I think Thursday night gives us a little bit of a taste of that which we cannot see. Here's what Paul says. We don't keep our eyes on the things that are temporal. We look on those things that are eternal. Uh, and we're looking for those things which we cannot see. And here's 
Here's his hope. He says, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if this life that we have, this body that we have failed us, and guess what? Our lives will fail and our bodies will fail. We have a building of God, a house not made with hand, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan. Oh, we long for that. Earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. We're longing for this, that we will actually be clothed with this new home, this new building that God is making for us. And that in that day, we won't be found ashamed, naked and ashamed, right? For we that are in this tabernacle, this earthly body, we do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but that we would be clothed upon. We're not groaning just that our lives will end. Right? We don't just suffer affliction and go, man, you know, Job says, uh, <clears throat> well, I know Elijah says this and Job says this. I wish that I were never born. Curse the day that I was ever born, that I ever had to face any of this affliction. That's not what Paul's saying here. He says, no, our groaning, our longing is that we would be clothed upon so that our mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now, he that has worked this, this same thing is God, who has given unto us the earnest of his spirit. Why do we have any faith and hope in this? It's, it's a truth that we believe. We, 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 we've heard the testimony. We believe, therefore, um, hold on. <laughs> I believed, therefore I have spoken. Because we're, we're speaking about what we believe. And he says, but more than that, we have his spirit in us. And the spirit is a down payment that uh, there is an eternal life, an eternal weight of glory, a new tabernacle for which we will be clothed upon. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. After all, we walk by faith, not by sight, right? And we are confident, and I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present for the Lord, with the Lord. Wherefore, because this is our hope, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in this body, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Paul says his perspective for enduring all the hardness of this life is an eternal perspective. It's rooted in the historical reality that he trusts in that God raised Jesus from death. And just as God raised Jesus from death, he will raise us up also with him. Paul keeps his mind 
not on the things that are temporal. And remember, temporal things fade and they are fleeting. But Paul puts his mind on those which are eternal. And the, the reality is, is we can't see those things which are eternal. But Paul has this hope that one day, one day whenever this body has given up the ghost, we will be absent from the body, but we will be present with the Lord. And Paul's eternal perspective keeps him laboring because he wants to stand before the Lord on that day and not be found naked. He wants to stand before the Lord and hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into my kingdom. My brothers and my sisters, we are reminded today during this hard season to keep our eyes, our hearts, our minds fixed upon that eternal perspective. I pray we do, and I pray that as we do, we live lives that are not tossed around by the temporal changes of time, but live lives that are anchored, anchored in that which will last for all eternity. And with that I say, amen. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, you are good. Good. Oh, yes, you are good. And you are good in this particular way today. Because, uh, Lord, you have given us hope beyond this moment, beyond this season. Uh, Lord, while we have a hope, an eternal hope, Lord, that should motivate us, enliven us, equip us uh, so that we can live in these moments steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord and the character of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray. I pray that we would not make excuse because of the afflictions that we face. I pray that we would not compare ourselves to other people, whether our afflictions weigh heavier or lighter than theirs. But, Lord, we would keep our afflictions as they are, afflictions. But we would hold them in contrast to the eternal weight of glory that is before us. And as we do, Lord, I pray that we would walk as light in life and love. And as we do, I pray that we, we will be good ambassadors of you, of your son Jesus, of your spirit, and of your great desire to rescue this world. Lord, I pray and I ask that you would just please be with us as we go. Watch over us, keep us, minister to us. And Lord, let us be good ministers as well. We pray these things in Christ's mighty 
resurrected name. And all my brothers and sisters said, Amen.